This morning we, uh, <clears throat> we're continuing on our journey through the Bible. We're in Exodus this morning, the first part of Exodus. We're not going to finish Exodus. It's just too big of a book, too, too good, you know. It's hard to, there, there's so many, I'll get to studying it, and I'll think, oh man, I could spend, you know, on that one chapter you could spend, you know, several days. But I know what I'm trying to get an overview, but there's some of it you just can't leave. It's just wonderful. And I know the adult class in there, Leonard was talking about Exodus this morning, and uh, that's great. I mean, you get a different perspective. You get different views, and no matter how many you got on it, that helps out, and that, it increases it. But we're going to start uh, Exodus this morning. And as our journey, uh, some of you that don't know, we're... Uh, attempting to preach through the Bible, starting with Genesis and going through Revelation. We don't know how long this will take. It'll be a long time. We just hope that God will bless and we'll do His will and that, that He will inspire us and give us... Uh, I know studying Exodus this week, I, I just... It's just good. I hope that I, I hope I can get it out this morning. But there's some good parts in Exodus. And I hope all in the Bible, all of it is. But God can inspire us as we go along and just see the whole Bible for what it means, the inspired Word of God, that it didn't start in the middle. It started from day one when God created the heavens and the universe. And it'll end till He comes back again. And... and, and uh, <coughs> And so it's all one big story. It's one, oh, it just matches so perfectly that you couldn't do this with this many writers and thousands of years and so forth. But Exodus, and we'll be, it'll be the first part of it, first third or so of Exodus we'll be in. But this is, you know, when God wants to change history, He doesn't start with a battle. He starts with a baby. He starts with a baby. Now we all think of Christ in Bethlehem. He sure did. He didn't bring him full grown. He started with a baby. And this story here, Exodus, leading the children of Israel out, he started with a baby. And that's the story when we get over that second chapter there is when Moses was born. And we'll get in that in, in a little bit. But you know, uh, these things, uh, God does start when he's going to change something. One year in particular, I read 1809 was when Napoleon was, was crossing Europe and he was just destroying everybody and taking over the country, the, the world really. And at that same time, famous people was born that same year, Alfred Lord Tennyson, the English poet, Charles Darwin that started the, the evolution uh, theory of man from monkeys. You know, he was the main architect of it. Uh, and also, in a log cabin in Kentucky, was a country man named Abraham Lincoln that was born. And so God starts with a baby, and he grows it, and then to change his plan here. But this story here now is a baby, and he's born under the sentence of death. Of death. He's born, and the sentence has already been proclaimed that all male Hebrews will be killed. Will be killed here. Now, mothers, you think of this. Pharaoh made the claim, the ruling, the law. He said, we're having too many Israelites or Hebrews born. There's so many of them now that if we got in a war with somebody, they would join our enemies and they'd overtake us. There's just too many of them. God had blessed them. He made them uh, fruitful. They had very many children. They multiplied. What's the last words in Genesis? We're coming out of Genesis now. 
It's unusual words is the last words of Genesis here. If you hadn't thought it, but the last words is a coffin in Egypt. A coffin in Egypt is the last words of Genesis. That's Joseph. Joseph was from Abraham. No, as we trace it on back to the beginning. And Joseph, they were all, Abraham was told he would be blessed as the stars and as the sands of the sea. And definitely, all of these people, all of these Hebrews, in which I've read different estimates, but there were probably around two million of them counting the children and wives and all. Two million. Now, Moses is not taking a crowd like this or a few people out in the wilderness here. Can you imagine two million people? The state of Alabama, that's about half the people in the state of Alabama was going out in the wilderness, unknown territory. No wonder Moses was hollering, Lord, help me, I can't do this. He saw the task in front of him here. But before we get to that, though, he was born under a sentence of death. And so the Hebrews were getting so numerous, oh, evil Pharaoh, he said, we'll descend that because we're going to have all the male Hebrew boys killed at birth. And so if they're born, and if it's a girl, well, you get to keep him. And if it's a boy, we're going to kill him. And so that was the rule. They had to do it. Well, Moses here in the second chapter of uh, Exodus is where the, the, the story starts, Moses' birth here. But just, I'm going to paraphrase it. But Moses was born, and his mother knew the rule, and she knew the law. So she hid him for three months. But he got too big. They couldn't keep him hid. And so she took him and she built a little boat out of straw and mud and tar. And she put that baby in that little boat. And she set him out into the edge of the river. I call it the cattails, the bulrushes. Set him out in there and, and left him. And she left her older daughter to watch the baby to see what happened. And, and because they knew that the Pharaoh's daughter came down and washed herself at the river. Sure enough, in a little while... Pharaoh's daughter came along and she heard the baby crying. She sent her servants to fetch the baby. And when she picked up baby Moses, he started to cry. And it said that it affected her. She was moved by his crying. And she fell in love with him there. She wanted him. And she told. And just as soon as that happened, Moses' sister walks up that's been watching all the time and says, do you want me to go get a Hebrew woman that can nurse him so that she can feed him? And she said, yeah, go get one. Well, she runs and gets her mama and brings her, and she gets to raise baby Moses and raise him and teach him. Where do you think that Moses learned about his people, about God? He didn't learn it from Pharaoh. He didn't learn it from Pharaoh's daughter. It was from his mama that was nursing him and hiding him. That They didn't even know they were paying her to feed him. And that was his own mama. Now, God's got a little sense of humor, isn't he? Think you're getting away with it and you're going to kill all of them. I'm going to slip his own mama in. He, she's going to feed him and going to raise him. You won't even know nothing about it. God's got a little humor every once in a while. He likes to show us how dumb we are and how he can throw something in there. But anyway, 
And then she took him. And then he was raised in the courts of Pharaoh. The best education, the best wardrobe, the best food, the best houses that money could buy at that time. Egypt was the number one nation on earth at that time. He had the best here. But yet he was at the same time, his mama was teaching him about God. The true God. And it was influencing Moses. Moses was being prepared. When God starts to make a movement, and he starts with a baby here. We don't know what kind of movement today that some of those little ones that come up here and the babies, what kind of movement that maybe God has got planned for them. Maybe it's great and wonderful things. We hope so. But we want them to hear the Word of God so they'll be prepared for it. But here, and then he's raised up into adulthood. And then here, of course, you know, he gets mad at uh, one of the Egyptians and he kills him and he has to go out in the desert and he's hiding for 40 years out there. But anyway, then we'll get back to the, when he comes back, he's the deliverer here. But Genesis, as we end with Genesis, it was about humanity. It was about creation. It was about sin and its, uh, and its search for God was people. But here in Exodus, uh, it's about God. It's God's answers to the human need. God's answers to the human need right here. But the redemption that was going to take place here in Exodus is not a complete story. You don't finish it with Exodus. You've got to go on through Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Joshua before you get to where the promised land. Amen. And that's what we're going to today is we're going out of Egypt and into the promised land. It fits perfectly with Jesus and the cross and salvation and redemption. It fits perfectly right here. And that's what's exciting about it. That it didn't begin with Christ. It began back here at the beginning here with Christ involved in it here. But uh, it's getting to the promised land. But now, Exodus has got four main themes in Exodus. The first one is the Passover. And we'll get to that maybe in a little bit. The cross and the Red Sea, and that goes together. We'll try to get those two this morning. And then the second two is the giving of the law and the construction of the tabernacle. Those went together there. But, you know, but delivering God's people from bondage. This is an illustration of the Passover and crossing the Red Sea. They were in bondage. They were delivered. They crossed over into a new land. They were changed. A new life that was set before them. And, and that's a picture of it. You know, they symbolize the Christian version. Our Christian conversion that we have. That when we're in the old life and we're passed over with the blood. Amen. The blood that saves us. The blood that cleanses us. And then we're cross through the sea and into the promised land is where we're going. Man, God had this plan from the very beginning what we were to do and what God was wanting us to do. You know, but here, in giving of the law and the tabernacle, they were the same because when Moses was up on the mountain, what did he do? God gave him the Ten Commandments, but also he gave him the pattern for the tabernacle. And oh, that tabernacle is beautiful. What that represents and what it stands for is wonderful. We'll get that uh, at a later time. But the Passover, the Passover section right here. Now, before we get on into the, to the Passover, I want to get to chapter 3 here of Exodus. And this is the call of Moses. And it's going to get us to the Passover because Moses has got to be called first. And he's got to accept the call. He's got to understand what he's up against. And chapter 3 is the one. Chapter 3 is the gold nugget. I told you last week that there's going to be one, probably one chapter in every book 
or at least one that'll be a gold nugget that's been very important to me or influential or I've preached from it or I've enjoyed it or there's a great message in it. Chapter 3 is the gold nugget in Exodus right here. I've loved this. You, you've, some of you have heard me preach on it, but it's just a wonderful chapter. It applies to me and you. It's humbling right here. But let's look at it. I want to read some of the verses and talk about this gold nugget, the call of Moses, and then we'll get into the Passover with him in just a few minutes. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. Amen. Amen. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, but put off thy shoes from thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of the Father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Amen. Moses is going out in the backside of the desert. All of a sudden, he sees at a distance, he sees a bush, and it's a burning. But it doesn't burn up, it just keeps a burning. And so it says that he turns aside. He makes a conscious decision to go over to that bush. He makes a conscious decision to come to God. He makes a conscious decision to what he's going to do. And he walks over to that bush. And he stands in front of the bush. And God said he didn't speak to him until he turned aside. When he made the motion, when he made the movement, when he turned to the bush... He talked to him. He started talking to him. And he said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. He said, Moses, he says, you're on holy ground. I love this part. And he tells him, he said, Moses, you take those shoes off, son. He said, you take your shoes off. You're on holy ground right now. You're on holy ground. You get the shoes off. And you know what that means? That later on, he wanted Moses to remember what happened. He wanted him every morning that he woke up and he took those shoes and he put those sandals on. He wanted Moses to remember that burning bush. He wanted him to remember God that he was speaking to. He wanted him to know that he was on holy ground. Amen. That's what he wanted him to remember because Moses had a task ahead. And he wanted him to realize who was in charge. He wanted him, Moses, you get those shoes off. I'm the one in charge. You'll do as I say, and I'll bless you, and I'll bless the people that's with you. Hey, man. Now, that's full of it. If you want to get a blessing, you go reading that and see what, how God will bless here. And then Moses, from this, he couldn't even look on God. And he starts to complain. He says, I can't do it, God. I can't talk. They they won't believe me. (laughs) He says, you know, he was from Egypt. Egypt had a God for everything. We'll see in a little bit the ten plagues. Nine of them were geared at, at gods of Egypt. The first nine were pointed directly at their gods. 
That's what the head is God's. So he knew that. He said, they won't believe me. Who am I going to tell them has sent me? What does he say? The greatest, one of the greatest words in the Bible. He says, I am that I am has sent you. Look what I am means. I am is self-existent. Self-existent. One who always was, always is, and always will be. That's what I am that I am means is what he was telling him here. Jesus, he completed this because he was God as the Son. And Jesus said what? I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the true vine. Why do you think Jesus was saying this? Because he was there with the bush with God and he was speaking to Moses that I am, that I am is why. It, it started here and went on through and we're seeing Jesus all over the place here. Hey man, that ought to thrill you that you serve a God that's like that. That can go through 15 centuries, 66 writers all over the world and writing and they all come together and form a unit here meaning the same thing. Hey man. And then he tells him, he keeps complaining. And, and God tells him, you know, I'll let Aaron help you and so forth. And he, he, he accepts it here. Moses, he knew the task that was before him though. He knew what was facing him. It wasn't just a little journey out in the wilderness for a little while. He knew the whole picture of it here. And it was more than what you and I could see. But here, now that Moses comes back, after 40 years in the wilderness, God sends him back. You know, he had to be prepared, didn't he? He didn't just take him when he was young there and he had had an experience in the king's house. He sent him out in the wilderness for 40 years. Don't you know Moses learned a whole lot in those 40 years? He learned how to survive. He learned how to get out on his own and talk to God. He learned a lot of things that he never even saw in the king's house there. But when he come back, he was ready. God had prepared him. He had educated him. He had taught him mentally, spiritually, and physically. Moses was ready. Was ready. He still had to do some questioning with God, just like all of us, and saying, God, you know, and he says, throw your staff down and so forth, you know. I got some things you can show him. But when he comes back, he faces Pharaoh. Now, Pharaoh, he represents Satan. And Moses, he's the representative of God. You've got Satan and God represented here. And we're going to see the battle that goes on from the very beginning. And who wins out? And who wins out? Amen. Amen. This is what we get here. But again and again, again and again in this in Exodus, before he lets them go, what do they say that Pharaoh does? He hardens his heart. Over and over and over again, Pharaoh hardens his heart. He'll agree to it, and then he hardens his heart. He'll agree, and he'll harden his heart. These kind of things. We have that trouble today. You know that? Hard-hearted people is the one God has trouble with. I want you to look at this. This is what Warren Wiersbe says about what hard-hearted is. Or to harden the heart. It says it means to see clear evidence of the hand of God at work and still refuse to accept His word and submit to His will. Amen. Listen to that now. That's good. He says, it means to see clear evidence of the hand of God at work and still refuse to accept His word and submit to His will. It means to resist Him by showing ingratitude 
and disobedience and not having any fear of the Lord or of His judgments. Hard-hearted people can say with Pharaoh, they'll say along with him, Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice? That's what the world is today. They see evidence of it. They see the creation. The Romans 1 tells us that even nature itself teaches us about God. And they see the clear evidence. But they still deny it and do not obey it and do not listen to it. And they go away in their disobedience, their ingratitude, and uh, they have no fear of God. Do you know a lot of people that don't fear God? I sure do. We see them all the time, don't we? The things they do, they have no fear of God in their body, looks like, because of the things that they do. God help them. Pharaoh hardened his heart too, but that old man, he found out who God was before it was over with. He had to die and be covered with an ocean of water, but he saw who was God, and he saw who Moses was talking about. And that's what happens to us many times. But Pharaoh, that's what Pharaoh told Moses. He said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Who do you think he is that he can tell me what to do? Don't we see that today? What's God to tell me that I shouldn't do something? You know, I don't want it to be me or the church telling you not to do something. I want it to always be you take God's Word. We're human. We're fallible, but God's Word is not. Look at it, not us here with it. And so I don't want us to be that part of it, but the ten plagues that comes along a little later. The ten plagues. I told you a while ago. The first nine were geared directly at the gods of Egypt. All nine of them were gods, some kind of a god that they worshipped. God knew what he was doing when he called the flies and the frogs and, and the blight. As he knew what it was, he knew the gods. The first one, he had the blood that was in the water, the Nile that turned red with blood. The frogs that came and just covered the place up. Lice was the next one. And flies. Then they had a disease that was on all the animals, the Egyptian animals, not the Hebrews, just the Egyptian animals. Don't you think if I was an Egyptian, I'd say, hey, something's wrong here. <laughs> if I look over here and, and my cows are all sick, dying, and yours is healthy and fat, hey, something wrong with mine. Hey, I'm doing something wrong over here, but theirs was diseased. They had boils on all the people and the animals, not the Hebrews, but the Egyptians. There we go. Again, something's wrong. Hey, I'm covered up. They don't have any. That was another one. Then they had hail. Lightning and storms that fell. And if they were out in the fields, the hail was so large that it killed them in the fields. Then they had locusts that came along and devoured all the crops. Ate it down to the nub. You know, one year we had grasshoppers so bad, I had watermelons planted. And they were good watermelons. And I went out there, and those doggone grasshoppers had eat the top of the watermelons off. I didn't believe they could do it, but they ate the green part and it was white. And it was grasshoppers eating the, the rind of a watermelon. And if a little grasshopper can do that, you can imagine what billions and billions of locusts come in. There wouldn't be a stub left and nothing. It'd be gone. But, <laughs> but it came in. And then after the locust was darkness, there was darkness for three days. They couldn't see to even feed their animals. It was dark for three days. And finally the last one. 
The last one, and God had already told Moses. He said, I'm going to send plagues to the gods of Egypt. He said, and they're not going to accept them. They're not going to believe. Pharaoh's going to harden his heart, but I'm going to send the last one, and it's going to get him. I'm going to send the last one, and it's going to do it. He sends the last one, and it's the death of the firstborn. Every firstborn in Egypt, every Egyptian, every person that wasn't under the blood, the doorpost, their firstborn was dead. How many in here is the firstborn? Raise your hand. How many is the firstborn? All of you'd be dead. All of us, I would too. The firstborn was dead. <laughs> you think when they woke up that morning, that got their attention. All these other things should have. People in this world should get their attention already and they should fill the church house full and worship our wonderful Lord because the evidence is there. But when this comes, then it's going to get the attention. Then they're going to say yeah, that God was right. That was God. But it got their attention right here. But the tenth one did. But if you'll notice that only in grief, only in grief was when Pharaoh relented and he allowed him to go. He hadn't changed his heart. He hadn't repented, but he was grieving. You can get people sometimes to do things in grief, and that's not the reason to do it. It's faith and belief and all. But this is, he was in grief, and he agreed to let him go. And they, <laughs> now during this tenth plague right here, this tenth plague was, was where the wonderful uh, tradition of Passover came in. When God sent the angel, and he told the people, he told Moses and the people, he said, tonight's going to be a night to remember. He said, I want you to take a lamb, and I want you to inspect it that there's no blemishes. A lamb, a lamb. Remember where a lamb comes in a little later. You take the blood of the lamb. You make sure that he's pure and he's clean and he has no blemishes. You take that lamb and you kill him. You kill him in the, in the evening hour at 3 o'clock is when they did it. You know what blew from then on at 3 o'clock? The shofar. The big old horn, the long horn. It's about 10, 15 foot long. And they woo, blow it out there and everybody hears it. They blow it at 3 o'clock in the evening. That was when the lamb was killed for the Passover. What happened when Jesus died on the cross at 3 o'clock in the evening? The shofar sounded. It blew as he died on the cross as it had done with a lamb back in Exodus, the first Passover. It sounded. They took the blood and he said, you take that blood and you wipe it on the doorpost, the sides. You put it across the top and down the side. You put the blood all through that. And as the angel of death comes over, they'll see the blood and I'll pass over you. <laughs> I'll see the blood and I'll pass over you. Does that not ring a bell somewhere with us here? Does that not tell us something? Amen. But that was the plague here that, that Passover is still celebrated by the Jews to even today. But this is a beautiful picture of, of, of the Passover of Christ dying on the cross. Of our sins being washed away by the blood of the Lamb. Then I'll pass over you. When God looks down and He sees that blood on you and you and you and you and you, He knows what's happened. He sees the blood that's changed you and I, that made us different, that took us out of slavery, out of bondage, and sent us across to the promised land. Amen. Amen. 
And so they covered it with blood. And then the Red Sea crossing. You know, <laughs> you got to do the Red Sea crossing if you're going to do the Passover. Amen. Because it goes together. The Passover, they were saved here by the blood. But they got to do something with it. You don't just sit with the blood and do nothing. He says, action. The cross of the Red Sea took action. It took faith. It took obedience. What about us? We can be saved by God's grace. That means it takes action. It takes obedience. It takes faith to get up and cross the Red Sea. Amen. And that's what he's telling us to do here. But the, uh, it has to be linked with it. But they left the safety of their homes here. I want you to get this. These, we'll say two million people. They left their homes, even though it was slavery. It was security. They left out into a wilderness, not knowing where they were going. <laughs> and, and when they got out there, they came to the edge of the Red Sea. They were still in Egypt, but they were at the edge of the Red Sea. They looked behind them, and they saw the army of Pharaoh. He had relented. He got his army together. He said, we're going to kill every one of them. And he was coming fast with his chariots and his army. They were coming from behind. They looked in front, and it was a, red, it was a sea. And they said, they had no boats. How are we going to get across? They started to grumble to Moses. They said, why have you brought us out here in the wilderness? Here we are, Pharaoh's army behind us, the Red Sea in front of us. It seemed hopeless, didn't it? It seemed like there was, was no way out. It, it was no place. The situation seemed hopeless, and they began to cry. What did Moses tell them? In Exodus 14 and verse 13, Moses tells them after they are grumbling to him and say, we're going to die out here. You've brought us out here. Moses in, in Exodus 14 and 13, he says, and Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. Amen. He said to stand firm. Stand firm, he said, people. Hold your peace, and you're going to see the salvation of the Lord. That's a message to you and me. When we think the situation is hopeless, that there's nowhere to go, there's no escape, there's death, and there's death. We think that no one's listening. There's no progress. We think it's out of hand. God says, stand firm. Amen. Be still. And you'll see the salvation of the Lord. Amen. You know, when I was studying this, I got this thought, and I want to chase this a little bit off of the, it's on topic, but a little bit it's not, a little rabbit here. But of recent events that we've had just, just recently. You know, I, I, I respect everyone's opinion, uh, their right to have an opinion and to voice their opinion, and to have their vote. That's, that's the American way it should be, and I respect that. But also, I think that I should have the right to speak too. Amen. If it's religious, or it's from faith, or from God, I have the right to speak Amen. mine also, and not be called a bigot, or ignorant, or all this. Because we both have an opinion, and it should be respect and not calling one another ignorant and, and foolish, because we see it a different way. Or because we're doing it from faith and from the Bible and they're doing it from the world maybe. But I like this, this right here. 
voting for an addictive vice just the other day to be legal so that we can tax it. Now, it's over with, and it's already been done here locally. I just got some points I want to bring out, and you just think about them, you pray about them, and you think how God wants you to think and believe, and so forth. But I'm not rolling over and saying, I'm dead, and it's over. But not all people become alcoholics. I agree with that. Maybe you can control your drinking. Most people can't. Most people can't. You just think of these things. Tragedy follows this practice. And I know from personal, family, background, the tragedy that follows this practice. Broken homes, spousal abuse, lost jobs, depression, wasted income, neglect of loved ones, and accidents. Do you know that there are somewhere between 25 and 50,000 accidents, alcohol-related every, deaths every year? Every single year. Several years ago, I went with a group of kids that was chosen from all over Alabama. We went to Washington, D.C. to a mad conference, Mothers Against Drunk Driving. And in that conference, every morning we would meet in this big old auditorium. There was over 2,000 teenagers in there. And you should have heard the testimonies of those young people. They would get up and tell how their mother was run over by a drunk driver, how their sister was crippled, and in a wheelchair now, or in a coma, over and over and over it was told by this. And then, <laughs> do we want money from this? Not that everyone does this, but the practice follows this. Do we want it? Let's just think about it. You know, some may say, and I know you've heard this, I don't drink, let others do as they please. I understand. It will help our schools. You heard that? They will drink anyway. Sure, we've heard that. Keep our tax money at home. That was on the signs. We have to keep up with progress. We can't meet budget without new tax revenue. These might have had good intentions, some of them. But I want them to look at it through a biblical sense. Do I want that money? I don't. I don't know about you. I don't want it. Let me give you a little bit from the Bible and you think about it. Adam, he took the apple from Eve. He knew where it came from, but he ate it anyway, didn't he? When God came to Adam, did he say, he said, he said, Adam, you've been picking up, eating that from that tree of life. Well, what did he say? What did Adam say? He said, the woman whom thou gavest me, she gave me of that tree and I did eat. Did God care? Did he say, I know where you got that apple, Adam. You got it from Eve. You knew where it came from, and you took it anyway. You're guilty too. Think about that. Think about that. That's the way I look at it. That's the way I, I think of it. I'm guilty too if I don't object or if I don't oppose something that I don't feel is good or right. But in Romans 1 and 32, wonderful Romans 1 is one of the best chapters in the Bible. But Romans 1 and 32, guilty by association. Guilty by association. Let's read it. Romans 1 and 32. Who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. That have pleasure in them that do him. 
This is what that means right here. I want to read it again from Wiersbe. Men not only committed these sins in open defiance of God, the ones he mentions in that chapter, but encouraged others and applauded them when they sinned. They encouraged others. You guys ever been out with other guys and they were drinking? What's the first thing when you walk up? What do they want to give you? Here, take one. <laughs> Have another one. Let's go. You know, that's what it, applauding those that partake. Not only do they do, but applauding others to do that. They are guilty by association. Think about that. Think about it. How far man failed. He started as the highest creation that God had ever created. And then look where he failed. And then it tells us in Romans 1 and 20, that same chapter, they are without excuse. They are without excuse. Let me read you just a few verses. Proverbs 23 and 20. Don't associate with those who drink or wine bibblers. Read it. Proverbs 20 and 20, 23 and 20. Proverbs 23 and 29. It talks about the effects of alcohol. It talks about uh, who hath woe, who hath sorrow, who hath contentions, who hath babblings, who hath wounds without cause, who hath redness of eyes. And then he goes on, said, And their eyes shall behold strange women. Thy heart shall utter perverse things. And then it says in verse 35, And, and they shall awake, and I will seek it again. I will seek it again. Amen. James 4 and 17 says, To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is a sin. God help us. Slowly but surely we're sinking into the wiles of the devil. The wiles of the devil. Amen. But Moses told him to stand firm. Stand firm when it looks rough. Stand firm when it looks hopeless. Stand firm when it looks like you can't change it here. But the crossing of the Red Sea was our break with the world here. We're leaving Egypt behind and we're going into the promised land is what it's uh, saying here. It tells us in first, uh, 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. He's different here. And uh, he tells us how to be one body, one church, one nation, one fellowship. In 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 2, uh, he, he says that they passed through the water with Moses. They were baptized in the water with Moses. Can you imagine crossing that? Let's look at a wall of water that might have been 100 a, a feet tall. I don't know. And you're crossing on both sides. How scary that would be. That you're walking through and that water is up over your head and you know if it turns loose any second that you're dead. That's a scary thought, but they had to go through by faith. They saw the dry ground. They saw the miracle with it split. We've seen miracles, but they still had to go through by faith. They had to go through by faith it was going to take them. They were baptized through the faith and they became in that same way that we are when we're saved. We're baptized into the one body, the one fellowship that we have because we have something in common. And they did too. What was the first thing when these ex-slaves got to the other side? What did they do? First thing they did, said they broke into a song. They broke into a song. They hadn't been singing over uh, in Egypt here. When we cross the Red Sea and we get to the Promised Land, we're going to break into a song. It says in Revelation... Nine, it says, and they sung a new song, 
saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For Thou hast slain and hast redeemed us to God uh, by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nations and hast made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast of the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Amen. When we cross the Red Sea, we leave the bondage. We leave the old life. And we're, we go through the Passover under the blood and we cross the Red Sea to the promised land. Amen. And then we're going to break into a song. One more thing, when they got to the side and they traveled just a little ways, they came uh, to, the, to the brook or the waters of Marah. And those waters were bitter. It was bitter and they began to complain again because they said, we don't have anything to drink here. And they were murmuring to Moses. What did Moses do? A beautiful picture right here. I want us to see this now. He, he, uh, Exodus 15 is where it's at. Exodus 15 in verse, let's say, 24. Exodus 15, 24, And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord, and look what the Lord gave him. And the Lord showed him a tree, a tree, a tree, and which he had cast into the waters, and the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statue and an ordinance, and there he proved them. The cross, the cross, a tree. He cut a tree. The water was bitter. Life was bitter. It was unsweet. They were grumbling. What are we going to do? He said, I've provided a way. He said, Moses, cut a tree. Take the tree. Dip it in the water. It became sweet. He said, I've got another way for you. I've got a better way provided for you. I've got a Passover that you're going to go through later on. I've got a cross that someone's going to die on the Lamb. He's going to spread the blood. And if you go under the blood, you're going to be crossing over the Red Sea and into the promised land. Man, isn't that good? That's rich. That's full. All through there. If you don't know the Lord this morning, go ahead. You pray to Him. This God is real. This book is real. The gospel is true. It's inspired. It's God's Word. The beautiful picture of the cross and Christ on it and the Lamb is shown to us here right in Exodus. If you don't know him this morning, please 